I bet she is. I'm glad everything went well in the surgery. Anybody else before we pray? Let's pray. God, thank you so much. God, thank you for being so incredibly good. God, thank you. Thank you for miracles. God, thank you for grace, for mercy. Thank you for, for love. Thank you that you'd be mindful of us, God, that you would hear. That you hear our prayers, God. It just, Lord, it's just overwhelming to think that the creator of the universe listens to us pray and cares about what we pray about, Lord. And you meet us in the place of our brokenness and you walk with us through the valleys and you create the mountaintops. You give us bright, sunny days. God, you let us go through storms to teach us, and then you give us bright, sunny days to, to strengthen us in between, God. And everything you do is to draw us closer to you. I just want to tell you thank you, God, for being so good. Lord, I pray you teach us something in your word here tonight. Lord, I pray for everybody in this place. I pray that your spirit would touch each need. God, there's several needs that's not spoken. God, some that have been talked about even tonight, God, and you know those needs. Lord, I pray you touch those needs, especially God. Lord, I pray that the light at the end of the tunnel shows up soon for some, God. I pray you'd help them to see your hand working in all that they're going through. God, I pray you meet with everybody in here tonight, Father. May we walk out a better servant, having learned something about you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 8, Philip has preached to the Gentiles. He has gone to the city of, of Samaria and preached, and there's been a great movement of the Holy Spirit has broken out, and and Peter and John have now come down to the city of Samaria. They wanted to see what's going on. They met Simon the sorcerer, as we looked at last week, who is a pretender. He's not a Christian. You see it by his fruit. He thought that he could buy the Holy Spirit. He offered money to try to get this power, but he did it, wanting it so that he could make more money off of it. We saw that Peter condemned him. For, for thinking such things. And then in verse 25, we see that Peter and John, they return to Jerusalem. They're preaching along the way as they go out of the region of Samaria. But then in verse 26, it says that the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. He arose and went, Behold, a man of Ethiopia, an Enoch of great authority under Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem for to worship. Thank you guys can be seated. I'm, I'm going to pause there and we'll, we'll pick up each verse as we get to them. Remember we looked at Stephen. Stephen was the first martyr of the church. And right after the martyr, Philip steps up in the scriptures and we see him and he's the first evangelist of the church. God has sent Philip down to Samaria to do a great work. He sent him down there to preach the gospel in a place where the Jews wouldn't go, to a people that the Jews wouldn't have anything to do with, the people that they said were like dogs. And then we see here that the Lord is sending Philip yet to another place. He's sending him out of this place of Samaria. He sent him first. You've got to understand what, what, what the commandments look like. He's at Jerusalem. He sends him to Samaria, which would be, in the Jews' mind, the most disgusting place to have to go. And then from there, he sends him into a desert place where there's really not anybody around. You know, sometimes God tells us to go places. Sometimes God gives us things to do that don't make sense to us. Sometimes God gives us things to do, and we go do them, and it don't make sense to those around us. Anybody ever go to do something God gave you, and they question, why would you do that? Why would you go there? Why would you give up that? Why would you do this? Because God said to. But a lot of times, it doesn't even make sense to us, God. Why, why would I do that? I mean, you think about 
Philip. Philip has gone down and, and God has used him to start a ministry. I mean, this is a, a thriving ministry. He probably built the equivalent of a mega church. By now, people are being saved by the multitude, so much so that the two top dog apostles have come down to see what in the world is going on in Samaria. Peter and John, I mean, the, the big cheese, the big two, they've come down because they've heard about this movement of the Holy Spirit and a multitude of people are being saved. Philip could have been like, God. You sent me to where nobody else wanted to go. You sent me to the worst place imaginable. I've come down here. You've done a great work. I mean, look at the ministry. Why would you send me out of here now? Why would I have to leave? Well, it's simple because God said to. Remember we talked about it last week, how when Peter and John got there and Philip kind of disappeared into the background. He took a back seat because just because God uses you to build a ministry doesn't make it your ministry. That's just the steps that God goes through. And so now he's sending him somewhere else. And he could have asked a lot of questions as to why, why desert place. Why there? There's nothing down there. But you got to love the answer. All he does is, is goes. He heads that way. So you have Philip coming from one side. You have this Ethiopian coming the other way. So you have two very different men coming from very different paths, very different backgrounds, but they cross paths here in the desert. Sometimes, sometimes, somebody's going to need to hear this, sometimes God has to send us into a desert situation, not because you did anything wrong. Sometimes God has to send you into a desert situation not to teach you anything, not, not even for you, not even about you. Sometimes God has to send you into a desert situation because there's somebody in the desert that needs to hear about Jesus. And the only way to hear is for one of God's children to get there. So there's a whole lot of reasons why God can send his children into a desert place but right here, he sends Philip because there's a man out there seeking God, and he sends him to, to help this man that's looking for God. Now, Philip doesn't know what he's going for. He doesn't know who he's going for. He don't really know where he's going. He just knows that he's supposed to leave Jerusalem, head down the road to the south, and head towards Gaza. That's all he says. That's all he knows. There's no logical reason for going there, but Philip doesn't ask any questions. He just sets out to go now. It's pretty easy to see as this story unfolds. If you look at this, it'll help you with a lot of things in our own lives. As this story unfolds, it's easy to see the foreknowledge of God. If you're one who believes in coincidences, you need to study this book a little bit more. Because there is no such thing as a coincidence in God's economy. God perfectly ordains things. I mean, you've got to look at the foreknowledge of God to at the exact right time to tell Philip to leave because he knows how fast foot speed's going to go. He knows how fast, how fast he can get to a particular point. He knows the reading capability of this Ethiopian man. He knows where he started in the Scriptures, and he knows at what point the Ethiopian and his chariot is going to get to this Scripture, and at what point Philip's going to get to the chariot, and he needs him to get there at an exact time. I'm just saying whatever happened in your life was, was ordained in heaven. The affairs of men, the affairs on this earth are ordained to the things of God. Nothing happens. Tim just said it. Nothing happens to you that doesn't have to come across the desk of God Almighty. If you're a child of God, there's a seal upon your forehead. And when the demons of hell look at you, all they can see is a seal that says if you touch them, you're dead. There ain't a demon of hell can put a hand on you. There's no storm can come against you. There's no trial can come into your neighborhood. There's nothing can come into your world if God does not allow it. If you're a child of God, he has a hedge about you. 
God has that seal upon us. Well, thank you, Lord. So, so they're in this desert place, and you, you, see, you see the foreknowledge of God. The angel spoke. He told Philip where to go. It says he arose and he went, period, period. That ought, that ought to be our answer. How, how many of you in here besides me ever just said, why, God? <laughs> really? Why? But that don't make sense. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. Why, God? Why can't I just go back to sleep? I'm, I, I'm bad to want to know why. Well, really, it ain't none of my business why. God don't have to explain nothing to me. We, we ought to be like Philip when the Holy Spirit sends word and says, you need to go, you get up in your head that way. Here, here, in, the, here in this story, because he went, we're going to see as we study. Actually, one of them we should see next Wednesday night. Lord willing, we get there. If they don't do the Iwana Grand Prix race in here, think about it, may move it to the gym, but if so, it'll be the next week. But we'll get to see the second of a, um, of a salvation here. But this is the first of, of three conversions that are of pretty substantial importance. Anybody remember Shem, Ham, and Japheth? Pretty, pretty key figures in the Bible, right? One of the eight, number eight being New Beginnings, the, the, the three sons. So the Ethiopian here is, is a black representative. He is from the line of the family of Ham. Next week, Lord willing, if we get there and we get to look at it, we're going to look at another conversion, a guy named Saul of Tarsus. Anybody remember him? He, he is a conversion, but he comes through the line of the family of Shem. Then when we get to Acts chapter 10, which will probably be about three weeks out, there's a Roman centurion. His name is... Cornelius. Anybody remember Cornelius? Remember how God showed Peter a dream, the four cloths, the, had the four corners of the sheep, four-footed animals arise, kill and eat. Not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean. And he's teaching him about this Gentile because the Lord keeps telling him, hey, what I've called clean, call thou not unclean. What he's teaching him is the Gentiles are clean now. Somebody ought to say thank you because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We as Gentiles are now clean. We can now come to the Father through the blood. He's teaching him something through this dream. But then through that in chapter 10, there's going to be yet another, an, another salvation of, of Cornelius, and that is through the family of Japheth. So we see three key figures, three key lines come together through the blood of Jesus Christ in salvation. But the text says that this Ethiopian was an Enoch of great authority under the queen. That phrase, great authority, comes from where we get our English word, potentate so it's obviously obviously this man is a a very powerful man he has a position of high authority in the land where he comes from we can only assume that he must have a desire to know more about God there's no other reason to leave his homeland to come to Jerusalem to travel for two months to come to the temple of the city of Jerusalem the place of the temple of God to, to talk to the, the religious elite of Jerusalem. There's no other reason other than he would have to desire to know more about the things of God. He obviously believes that if he's going to learn any more about this God of the Jew, then he's going to have to come to the land of the Jew. If he's going to know more about this God of Jerusalem, then he needs to come to the city of Jerusalem. So he wants to come to the temple. He wants to come to the place of this God that he's heard about. He wants to bring money. He wants to bring an offering there and make a, a contribution to the temple. Now, it doesn't say, but some things you can kind of put together. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty certain that there's little, if any, doubt that because of who he is, because of his authority, because of the land that he came from, because of the amount of money that he's putting into the treasury, he got to talk to the who's who. 
I'm pretty sure he had an opportunity to talk to Caiaphas, the high priest. But Caiaphas wasn't going to tell him about Jesus. He still had the blood of Jesus on his hands from just a few months back. I'm pretty sure he got to meet the, the Sanhedrin council, the 70 men. He probably got to meet all of them personally. He at least got to maybe step into one of the meetings of the Sanhedrin and be there in their presence. But the Sanhedrin, they're not going to tell him about Jesus. They've still got the blood of Stephen on their hands. They just killed him not so many days back. So none of them are going to tell him about Jesus. So he's come here to learn some things about God. But the people that he's telling to, all they're going to tell him about is the law. All they're going to tell him about is the prophet. They're going to tell him about the writings of the Old Testament. They're going to tell him about the law and the prophets and the books. They're going to talk about the, the five original books, creation. They're going to talk about the one that's promised, that God has promised that there's a Redeemer coming. But they're going to say, this is somebody who hasn't come yet. This is just the law that we have. This is the writings that we have, and this is what we hold on to now, his authority and his wealth has got to be easily noticed by the fact that he obtains one of the scrolls. He's able to get one. Y'all understand they didn't have Bibles, right? Reverend Simpson didn't have a bookstore on the corner in Jerusalem. There, there wasn't a place to go get Bibles. There wasn't any printed copies you had the scrolls, and the scrolls belonged in the temple. And only the scribes and the Pharisees were allowed to the scrolls. Common people couldn't read them because the scribes said, Oh, no, only us. We're the only ones that can read it and understand it. So you have to see his, his financial capabilities and his royal capabilities by the fact that he obtained one of these scrolls, and he obtained the one that talks about the one that is to come. He obtains this part. I don't know if he gets all of the prophet of Isaiah, but he gets the part that he needs. So he would have come, traveled for two months to get to Jerusalem. He's come with this, this hunger, with this desire to learn more about the one true God. And now he's headed home, having received nothing more than a scroll that Lord only knows what he paid for it. He didn't get anything that he came looking for. He came looking for the things of God. But can I tell you, can I tell you, anybody that seeks God, God will send you help. Anybody that seeks God, God will meet you where you are. You don't have to travel for two months to get to him. You don't have to go anywhere. He's done all the work. He's shed his blood at Calvary's cross. Jesus had paid the price. That all you got to do is turn around, and, and you're like the prodigal child when the father sees you a great way off, that he ran to him and fell on his neck and kissed him. When you're seeking God, God will be there. That doesn't mean the demons of hell won't come against you. That doesn't mean trials and tribulations won't be knocking at your door. The harder you try to draw closer to God, the more the devil wants to interfere with that. But if you stay after the things of God, you will prevail victorious. Because God's greater, amen? Something about the story real quick that, that I want to look at. I just bumped by this for just a minute. Because I don't, I don't want you to misunderstand it. But you know, there's times in the scriptures that somebody's sent somewhere and they're told to go to there. Go to that person. Don't stop along the way. Don't talk to anybody. Uh, don't, don't, don't hesitate. Don't answer. If anybody speaks to you, don't speak back. Just get to where you're going. There's times that, that God, throughout the, the word, sends people to specific places. And right here, he sent Philip to a specific place, and he's told him to go and, 
I don't know if he spoke to anyone else. I'm not saying he didn't because the scripture doesn't tell me, so I'm not going to make stuff up. But the Bible doesn't tell us about him talking to anybody else. I'm thinking that he didn't because had he, had he talked to many, it would have messed up the timing. Remember, God's got the timing, right? He's going to convene with this chariot at an exact time. So <clears throat> I'm using this example. We're, we're not... What's a good way to say this? All of us are saved to be witnesses for Christ. Amen. All of us are, are saved to be a living example, a living testimony. We are to live a life so that everybody around us can see Christ in us. That everybody around us can experience, feel Christ through us. But it's not our job to witness to everyone. If you just go to witness to somebody because you just think you should or you're walking with somebody else goes to church with and you think, well, it'd be a good idea. I'd look real important right now if I went and witnessed to them and handed out a track and tried to tell them about Jesus. If you just go witness to people, you're probably not going to get anywhere. The Holy Spirit will point you who to talk to. But I want you to understand that when the Holy Spirit tells you to speak to someone, he has already prepared that someone. He, he either has prepared them for the salvation that you're about to offer, or he has prepared them for you to take the first step in preparing them. You may not get to lead them to the Lord. You may get to plant a seed, clear some brush, put some water on a plant. But at some point, they are prepared. The reason the Holy Spirit sends you to speak to them is because God's prepared them to be spoken to. They're in their chariot reading something they don't understand. God has prepared you to meet them on this path to tell them. But it's not our job to just stop and witness to everybody. It's our job to live Christ before everybody, to live our life as holy as we can in front of everybody, the people see Christ, but not to witness to every single person. So, I'm sorry, y'all, I, ho I hope that makes sense. I don't want you to go out and say, well, I can't witness to anybody because he said, I don't witness to everybody. The Holy Spirit will guide you. And if the Holy Spirit guides you, do what he says, and it'll be fruitful because the Holy Spirit's working on them. So, the Holy Spirit has told Philip to go down this road at the exact right time to run across this chariot at the exact right time in the exact right place in scripture to set up the story of salvation so philip has to have the prompting of the holy spirit to walk up to this chariot this is a powerful man this is a man of authority surely you don't think he's traveling alone this is the man that brought bags probably of gold and silver down to put in the temple surely you don't think he's traveling without secret service agents this man is surrounded by protection, but yet he's allowed to go up to this chariot in the middle of a desert place, close enough to hear the Enoch reading. You've got to see the providential hand of God in that. You've got to see that God allowed him to get past all soldiers, whatever's around him, that God made a way that he could come up. If God gives you something to do, don't worry about what's around in the way. Just go do it. If the water's in the way, just start walking. He's either going to part the Red Sea or you're going to walk on the water. But if he said cross the water, just start crossing. Y'all think I lost my hat? My, no, I flipped my lid in. If God says go there, go there. Otherwise, we'll be like the disciples. We just looked at it the last couple of Sundays with the, five, the lab with the five loaves of two fishes. Jesus said, y'all don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to send the people anywhere. You feed them. 
Had they taken the, the bread and the fishes that Jesus took and lifted them to heaven and prayed, Jesus would have done the miracle through them. It was a lack of faith. I'm just saying, you have to see the providential hand of God. There had to be a supernatural movement of the Holy Spirit for him to just walk up to this chariot and to hear him. And, and it says in verse 28, he's returning, talking about this, this, um, this man in his chariot. He's sitting in his chariot. He read Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. Philip ran thither to him and heard the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? He said, how can I except some man should guide me? He desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. You have a man who is seeking to know more about God. Because we are in the New Testament, because we are after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, what you have is a lost sinner seeking salvation that's what you have in this ethiopian man what a better text in all of the old testament could he possibly have read to have set up a better opportunity for philip than this one it says that verse 33 in his humiliation his judgment was taken away another word for judgment there is in our english language would be crisis it says who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth all of this would have raised a great question in the mind of the Ethiopian, who? Some, someone of, of great authority, someone of great importance ha, has died a violent death. But who is it? What, what a great opening question, amen? I, I'm inclined to believe. I can believe what I want, can I? You got your opinions? I got mine. I'm inclined to believe that if the Holy Spirit is drawing someone, he will even guide their questions. I believe if the Holy Spirit is drawing someone, he will guide their questions to guide your answers to fulfill their every doubt. Because here's the truth. They got doubts in their mind. They got things they might not think of. The Holy Spirit doesn't want them to leave with any doubts. If he's drawing them, giving them an opportunity for salvation, he doesn't want them to leave with any unanswered questions. I believe the Holy Spirit will guide even their questions. Remember when Jesus told Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus asked the question, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter again in a second time into his mother's womb? It set up the great question so that Jesus could explain that it was the spirit that died back in the Garden of Eden. And except the spirit be reborn, then you'll never see the kingdom of God because that's what the separation was. So it not only let him explain it to Nicodemus, but it let him explain it to you and I. We get to Acts chapter 16. We, we see yet another perfect question. Paul and Silas, they're in the... Philippian jail, they've been beaten, they're bleeding, they're in stocks, and, and at midnight, bleeding, cold, hurting, aching, in prison, probably hungry, thirsty. What do they begin to do? Sing praises. Sing praises. At the worst time, at the darkest time of the night, in the midst of all their pain, they start singing praises. And when they do, the Holy Spirit of God shows up, the ground shakes. The doors open. The chains fall off. They're all set free. And when all the prisoners are set free, the prison guard, knowing that they're free, thinks they've escaped. He's going to get killed anyways. He's going to kill himself. But Paul and Silas said, no, don't do yourself no harm. We're all here. But he asked this question, what must I do to be saved? Remember back in Acts chapter 2? 
We looked at Pentecost. Holy Spirit shows up. Other in tongues, Peter begins to preach. And as he's preaching the gospel, it says in chapter 2, verse 37, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? I'm just saying that when the Holy Spirit is drawing someone, if the Holy Spirit leads you to speak to someone, the Holy Spirit will work on both sides of that conversation. He's working in here. He's guiding their questions, and he's going to guide your answers because he's doing something. Verse number 35, Philip openeth his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Jesus. Not denomination. Not Baptist. Not Judaism. Jesus. The Messiah. The one promised. The one that you're reading about. The one that the scriptures are talking about. He's the one. Born of a virgin. Died on a cross to pay for all the sins of mankind. But on the third day rose up out of a grave and left it empty. He has ascended unto the Father. He's seated at the right hand of majesty. On my account, he is mine and your mediator. He is our propitiation, our intercessor there on our behalf. Isaiah had already spoken of him in the scriptures back in chapter 9. He said, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor. The mighty God. The everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the incense of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Philip begins to tell this Ethiopian about Jesus. He said, the man, the one that is written, he is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he openeth not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Philip's able to say, I was there. I was there. They, they crucified him, just like the Bible said it would. His bones weren't broken, just like the Bible said that they wouldn't be. He was spit on. He was bruised. He was rejected of men, just like the Bible said it was going to be. He, he, he died a brutal, cruel death on a cross, just like the Bible foretold that he would. But on the third day, he walked out victorious over death, hell, and the grave, just like he said he would. We're witnesses to it all. It's obvious that Philip answered the questions right because it goes on and says in verse 36, they went on their way, they came to a certain water, and the Enoch said, hey, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? The Ethiopian, he's, he's been to Jerusalem, but he didn't find answers. He's been to the temple, but he didn't find answers. He's talked to all of the religious elite, but he didn't find answers. 
But because of his desire to know more about God, he's paid whatever the price was to get a hold of one of these scrolls, and he's reading it as he goes along here in this wilderness place, and God sent him somebody to help him understand. God will do the same thing for you and I. God will do the same thing with you and I. If we're the ones with the questions, he'll send the answers. But there's many out there with questions, and right here he's got a whole lot of answers. All he needs is for his children to go. I've said it a lot of times. I think I even said it again this past Sunday, but everything in our past was allowed by God to prepare us for this day. Everything in our past was allowed by God to prepare us for this day. Everything on this day will help to prepare us for tomorrow. But everything that we've been through, you think about this man, he, he had to have his money to be able to travel. He, he had to have a desire for, for knowledge of the thing of God to travel to Jerusalem. He had to have the authority that he has to have to be able to buy one of these scrolls. He had to have education. You know, that wasn't a big deal back in the days. He had to have education to be able to read. He had to have his curiosity to bring him to this place, this city where the Son of God was crucified. There had to be something to bring him there. There had to be a hunger inside to fill an empty void, just like the one you and I had before we were saved by the blood of Jesus Christ when we were lost. There was an empty void, just like the world has now. They look for it in a bottle. They look for it in a pill bottle, an alcohol bottle. They look for it in everything that the world has to offer to try to find peace. And all it offers is a momentary dullness that comes back with more problems than you had before you started. So, so he, he's looking for something to fill this empty void. Everything in his life has a purpose and everything had a plan to get him right here we're, we're no different every mountain every valley every high every low every joyful time every sad time every dark storm that we've been through every sunny day that we've been through everything that we've been through has been to bring us to where we are that's why paul can say that all things work together for good to them that love god he doesn't say all things are good raise your hand if anything's happened to you in this life that wasn't good we don't have enough hands to raise we can't count the number of times that things have happened in this life that aren't good. But at the end of the day, when it's all added up and it's all said and done, God will have shaped us to be more like Jesus Christ. And it took every one of those bumps in the road, every pothole. It took every curve, everything that went wrong. It took all of those to get us to here. If everything was a bright, sunny day, we'd get further and further away from God. There ain't nobody in here that storms don't draw us closer to God. There is nobody in here that trials don't make us pray more fervently and more effectively. There ain't nobody in here that sickness doesn't make us desire God's presence for whoever's sick more than any other time. So it takes all those things to get us to where we are. The, the Ethiopian says, what must I do to be baptized? Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. He answered and said, here's your key. Here's the key part of this verse, and that's why I got a problem with some of the translations that are out there because they omit this part and this is the most important part of this whole story i believe that jesus christ is the son of god if that's not in your bible you need to question it that's all i'm going to say that is the most important statement in this text i believe that jesus christ is the son of god he commanded the chariot to stand still they went down both into the water both philip and the Enoch. 
and he baptized him. There's nothing any different in that baptism than today. It's not the baptism here that is saving him. That, that is the outward expression of an inward change. The question's what sealed the deal. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God? Before we baptize anybody, we ask them basically the same question. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? If they cannot say yes, then they cannot be baptized. If you've never been saved, you've never been baptized. doesn't matter what's happened to you in a church or anywhere else. If, if you've never been saved, you may have been dunked. You may have been splashed. You may have been sprinkled. You may have been drowned. They can hold you underwater till you stop wiggling. It ain't going to make you saved. All that makes us is a wet, lost sinner. The baptism is the outward expression of an inward change. Just letting the whole world know, I am a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I have trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. He's washed away my past, given me a new name, put a seal upon my forehead, and is preparing a place for me in glory. And one day soon he's coming to get me, and I'm going there with him. And all the baptism is it, is, it is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection. It is being buried with Christ in baptism, raised by the power of another man's hand. God allowed his son to go down, but Jesus said, I have the power to lay my life down. I have the power to take it up again. God the Father rose him back up. Well, I'm going to wind up preaching. Where am I at? Verse number 39, when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip that Enoch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Man, can you imagine getting up and coming out of the water, and you come, man, you rejoice and having the Holy Ghost fit of me, you turn around to high-five him, and you go, where in the world he go? <laughs> We're in a desert place. But, but I love his response. It just says he goes on rejoicing. But wherever he went, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. He went on doing what he needed to do now. I want to look at that just for a minute because I've read some commentaries. I've read some scholars, some theologians. I've read some people a whole lot smarter than I am. Matter of fact, every one of them I've read smarter than I am, but that don't mean i got to agree with them. I can be a hard-headed Georgia boy, right? Some of them said that what happened here is not like many people preach it. It's not that he was taken away and now he's just gone and the Ethiopian's like, Man, where'd he go? No, you know, they shook their hands and said their goodbyes. And just like when he sent him down south to the road toward Gaza, the Lord gave him somewhere else to go and he goes there. That's not what the Bible says. I, I don't get into paraphrasing and I don't get into doubting. If people want to doubt the supernatural ability of God to take Philip and move him somewhere else, they might as well not believe anything in this book. The word that they use there says that he was caught away. It means to seize. To catch away, to catch up. It means to pluck, to pull, or to take. It's the exact same word that Paul used in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 4. He said, how that he was caught up in the paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. He was caught up into paradise. He didn't walk there. He was caught up by a supernatural power. 1 Thessalonians says, chapter 4, verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Anybody in here believe that? Anybody excited about that day? Anybody believe that Jesus Christ is going to step out on the clouds? He's going to call home the church? If you do, you believe the next verse, that we which are alive and remain shall be what? Caught up. 
together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. If Philip was not caught up supernaturally and he had to walk to where he went, then you and I and all the other children of God and the dead in Christ are going to have to walk to heaven because he used the same word, caught up. I got news for you. I ain't walking to heaven and I ain't walking back. I'm caught up supernaturally, and I'm coming back on a horse. And all people said, amen. Everybody loves to ride a good horse. Philip was caught away, but it says that the Enoch was rejoicing. Man, can you imagine a man? Now, now think about it. When we got saved, I, I promise I'm facing to be done. I know it's 8 o'clock, so I got to stop. When we got saved, how many of us went to... I love like Greg's testimony. Greg is like, well, I'll go to that judgment journey with you. He ain't here tonight, but I'm going to pick on him anyway. I'll go to that judgment journey, but I ain't going to get saved, but he did. How many of you, somebody, blonde haired, little girls, drug you off to church, and you just went because that's where she was and wanted you to go? I'll go, but I ain't getting saved, but you did. Anybody know what I'm talking about? How many of you left, wherever you were the day you got saved, you left on your way to go get saved? That's what you wanted to do. The Holy Spirit met us where we were, and he made a way. But let me ask you this. How many of you rejoice about the day you were saved? Now, think about this Ethiopian. This cat brought bags of money, traveled for two months to get to Jerusalem to look for the God of Jerusalem. Done visited all the big names, all the big wheels, and he ain't got nothing but a book to read that he can't understand. Because you can't understand the Word of God that was written by the Holy Spirit if you don't have the Holy Spirit to explain it to you. But once you get saved and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, now you can read it in the same one that wrote the books, the same one that lives in us, the same one that can explain the book. So he traveled for two months only to be rejected, only to get a book that he's traveling, he's reading, that he can't understand, and he finally gets saved. you think he was excited? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking this joker, when he got back, he's got some stuff to tell the queen. I'm, I'm thinking he's got some stuff to tell all the hierarchy and those around him. There, there's a lot of excitement in what's going on. It says, but Philip was found as, as Azotus. Passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So let me, let me just close out the chapter real quick so we can pick up chapter 9 next week. Azotus used to be the, the city of Ashad. It, it was one of the city of the Philistines. Now it's a Roman city, about 20 miles north of Gaza. It says that he preached his way up the coastal road to Caesarea. Caesarea was um, named, or actually built by King Herod. He named it after Caesar Augustus. It was the capital city of the Roman administration. We see that Philip preached his way up to got there. We, we know later we'll sit when we get there. I talked about Peter and going to Cornelius' house. This is the place of Cornelius' house. So here's what we see. God used Philip to reach Samaria, and God used Philip to go over here and, and names him as the one to speak to this Ethiopian. But he is in, here, here, here in, the, in the city for a long time in Caesarea. But yet later, remember, Jesus made some promises to Peter about what he was going to do with Peter, right? I said that it's not our job to witness to everybody. Cornelius was in the town where obviously... Philip settled down. When Philip got there, he must have met a woman. He must have got married. He must have stayed in that town and lived there because we don't hear from him again for 20 years. 
Acts chapter 21, we hear about him again in verse number 8. The next day, Paul's company departed and came into Caesarea. So we know that he stayed there. They entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist. So we're talking about the same person. He has a house in the town, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. He stayed at his house. The same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. So obviously we see that for these 20 years, he has stayed there in that town. He is obviously still doing a work. He's obviously still living a godly life because his four daughters obviously see God in him because they're living godly lives. You see that. I'm just saying. You see that he stayed in that town for 20 years, but God didn't use him to go to Cornelius. He goes all the way over here to Peter to send him a dream to send him way over there. It's just an example. We witness to who we witness to. We live it in front of everybody. We try to let Christ be visible through us to everybody. But it's not our job to try to witness to all. I'm scared somebody's going to walk out and not witness to somebody because I said that. Do what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. Do what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. And you'll be fruitful. Amen. Thank you, God, so much for this book. Thank you for this word. Thank you for letting us see the way you used Philip, God. You don't name him as one of the apostles. You don't name him as one of the original 12. He, he's just named as one of the seven. Appoint yourselves seven men of honest report. He becomes a deacon in the church. He becomes an evangelist. And, God, we see you do a mighty work. We see you reach a, a town that the Jews wouldn't even go into. We see you send him down a dirt road into the middle of the desert. God, I pray you'd help us to have that mindset, that kind of heart, that if you send us to a Samaria, to a part of town we don't want to go to, that we'd go to that part of town and preach boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you send us down the road into the wilderness place that we don't want to go to, that we would go, God, because you said go, knowing that if you send us there, you have something there for us, God. You'll never take us to a place that you won't take us through, God. I pray you take us and make us usable vessels. Help us to be pleasing to you, God. It is our heart's desire to serve you better. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name.